Amen. Thank you so much. Man, my heart is full, and I'll tell you why. Today, um, just the last, what, five, ten minutes have been an example of, I think, who we are um, as faith, who we're, who we're called to be, um, and what this place, you know, we talk about offering a home for all people, a place and a purpose for all people. So did, did Audrina turn five yet? Yeah, I thought so. Audrina is five. I think she was our youngest singing person, right? I, I don't want to out you, Carl. <laughs> I think it's something to be proud of. Can I say how old you are? 91. <laughs> the 15th. <laughs> Tax day. Well, when I don't turn mine in, I'll tell them I'm sorry. I was celebrating a friend's birthday. <laughs> That's who we are, that there is a place and a purpose for everyone here. That's why our children are here in worship. That's why we don't separate families the minute they walk in the door to different wings, um, because we're a family, um, and we do things together. So thank you, Carl, and, and kids and parents um, for that for that reminder. And, and our, our youngest um, family member is, what, three weeks old now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to come yet because you know we'll put him to work <laughs> the minute he gets here. <laughs> so he'll, he'll be singing. <laughs> but thank you um, for all the ways that you are. Amen. Well, um, and what a good day, good day for this because today marks... The beginning of the holiest week in the Christian calendar. This week is so holy. It's so holy that we call it Holy Week. I didn't have a good punchline, it's just what it is. Uh, (laughs) This is the week that Christians throughout history have set aside to tell the story of the salvation of all creation. And that's huge. That means it's not just your salvation. It's not just my salvation that we're talking about, the salva- but the salvation of all of creation. Because it wasn't just we that were broken. The world was broken. And through Christ, God is repairing and restoring and resurrecting all of us, all of it. And it starts today, in our story today, it starts with a parade. In polite society, we call it a triumphal entry or a procession. But I like to think of it as a parade, a big parade, because there were all kinds of people marching in with Jesus, celebrating, singing, shouting scripture, throwing candy in plastic eggs. The disciples were throwing candy in, at least I think they were, maybe. But even though it begins with a parade, things in our story get dark pretty quickly. We'll hear that one of the disciples will betray Jesus, after their last supper together, the same meal where Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. We're going to remember that night, this Thursday at 7 o'clock, Monday, Thursday. Then Christ will be arrested and, and crucified. He'll die on the cross and be buried. Good Friday. When I was in, a kid, we used to sing a song called, It's a Good Day for a Bad Day, <laughs> about Good Friday. A reminder that true love can cost us terribly. 
And then on Saturday, we Sabbath. I think that's the beauty of this week, is that even Jesus, after dying on a cross, what did he do on Saturday? Nothing. It was the Sabbath. He rested. And then he raised, that we might be raised. And then on Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate what? Easter, the resurrection, salvation for all creation. And so it's my hope and my prayer that you'll be with us for all of it, to tell the whole story, because it's our story. And because of Christ's sacrifice, death, and resurrection, it can be your story. And, 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 and all of it is important. All of it shows us something and teaches us something of who we are. But we've also been telling a different story this season of Lent, the story of who? Esther. And over the course of the coming week, I think you'll be surprised by the ways that Esther's story and the story of the salvation of the Jews in Persia kind of connects and intersects with the story of Holy Week. And if we live both of these stories this week and in the coming weeks, I think it might just change our hearts might change our minds, and might even change our clothes. That might have sounded weird if you weren't here last week. <laughs> so we're going to hear three different stories today. Three different stories that each give us glimpses of the kingdom that is to come. And we're going to start in Esther. Now, if you remember where we left off last week, Mordecai was sharing the devastating news that Haman had ordered through the king that all the Jews in Persia be destroyed. He shared that with his cousin, and so Mordecai is outside the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes, mourning this impending genocide of his people. But Esther, then, she changes. She changes her clothes twice, and she changes the story. She risks her life to approach the king where she intends to expose Haman's true intentions. And so Esther invites King Ahasuerus and Haman to a feast, at which she invites them to another feast the next day. And this is Persia. I think apparently the king needs at least two feasts before he's had enough wine to make a decision. <laughs> but in between the two feasts, the king has a restless night to remember, which leads to a day that I think Haman would rather forget. And so this is Esther chapter 6, and these are verses 1 through 11. This is a good part of the story. And you can laugh. I think you're supposed to laugh at this part of the story. So on that night, the king could not sleep. And so he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this, for saving my life? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now, coincidentally, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, you laugh, see, that's funny, right? <laughs> I'm not that he's going to hang him, that, but that he would come at that, anyway. Haman is there, <laughs> standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. 
So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Well, whom would the king delight to honor more than me, Haman? Yeah. So Haman says to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, a horse with a crown. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him. Can you all proclaim with me? Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so oh, to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, pronouncing before him, let's pronounce again, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. We praise you. And as we lift our voices today on this Palm Sunday, we proclaim thus shall we do for the one whom we come to honor you, O God. So I pray that you would honor each and every one of us with a word spoken from you to our hearts. You know our hearts. You know our needs, our wants, our desires. You know who we need to become. And so speak to us, each of us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this is our first story for today. It's the first parade of the day. And it is funny. It's a funny story. And if you have to tell someone that, sometimes that means it's not funny. <laughs> like when I tell a joke to my kids, no, kids, it's funny. Really. But chapter 6 of Esther has actually been called the most humorous chapter in the Bible. It's classic irony and the classic story of a villain getting put in his place. But I put to you today that it's also a poignant vision of the kingdom of God. Because on the night before the second feast, we hear King Ahasuerus, he can't sleep. Maybe it's too much wine. Maybe it's anticipation over what Esther is going to ask of him. Maybe it's jealousy over Haman's inclusion in Esther's feasts, right? Like, I want to eat with you and your right-hand man. That might have rubbed him a little funny. So what better way to put a king to sleep than some dusty old account of things he did years ago. But as God would have it, the bedtime story that his servants choose to read is about who? Mordecai. Mordecai, who was never properly recognized for saving the king's life. And I, I was going to say oddly enough, but it's more like godly enough. <laughs> Haman was lingering outside the king's chambers in the dark of night, because obviously that's the best time to talk to a king about hanging your nemesis. And for us readers who know the full story, that's when things get pretty ironic. When, Haman, when the king says, Haman, what should be done to the man who, delights, who the king delights to honor? We know that the king, Ahasuerus, is talking about honoring who? Mordecai. But Morde Haman thinks the king is talking about honoring who? 
Haman, right, himself. That's what happens when you're so full of pride that you can't see outside yourself. When you're so puffed up in your position that you can't see the people below you. Because pride, we know, cometh before the fall. And it's kind of funny to think that the plan that Haman is giving to the king to honor him is actually the plan that the king will use to honor Haman's enemy. The man that Haman came to the king to kill. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn. Like that's the royalistest of royal, if you ask me. And the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and a horse with a crown is, is funny. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And so begins this big parade. Mordecai, he trades, he changes his clothes, right? He trades his sackcloth and ashes for the king's robes. And Haman even has to dress his ancient enemy. Saddle up the king's own horse, even set a crown on the horse's head and help his mortal enemy onto the horse's steed. Lead him through the town proclaiming, thus shall it be done to the man the king delights to honor. And so these two men, and maybe some guards behind them, parade through the streets of Susa, two men who have been put in their place. Both of them have been put in their proper place. Two men who have experienced monumental reversals of fortune. And two men who serve as the perfect illustration of the kingdom of God. Because we all know this, right? Jesus told us this. In the kingdom of God, the first shall be, and the least will be the greatest in God's kingdom. It's the great upside-down kingdom reversal here in flesh and blood. Jesus preached, by the way, his most famous sermon about this kingdom reversal. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And poor in spirit, this is Mordecai. I love this statue, by the way. This is Mordecai by the gate in sackcloth and ashes. You can't get much poorer in spirit than Mordecai in this moment. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, Mordecai. Blessed are the meek. Check. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Check. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Check. For now. <laughs> Blessed are the persecuted. Check. For theirs are the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like who? Mordecai. Not to prideful, puffed-up people like Haman, who might experience earthly success, wealth, and power at the expense of those whom they deem beneath them, my, my minorities, immigrants, strangers, people on the outside. That's Mordecai. That brings us to our second story today, our second parade. It's a parade of outsiders. It's Luke 19, 28 through 40. This is Jesus and his parade of disciples 
marching into Jerusalem. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. That's the password. It makes everything possible. The Lord, that's how I get cookies. The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead, they went. And they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, And that's all they had to say. And they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people, they spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay, that didn't feel good. Do you all have, um, what are these? Palms. Do you have some of these? All right, let's raise them up and we'll all say this together and we'll wave. You're not good. And we'll wave our palms. All right. Let's say it together. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That felt better, right? Here comes the big parade. And this parade, this is the kingdom of God riding into God's holiest city in the holiest of weeks, right? This is the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, riding not on a regal stallion that had been ridden by a king, but on a colt that had never been ridden. Anybody ever been on a horse that had never been ridden? Does it want to be ridden? No. Do you look graceful and elegant riding a horse that has never been ridden? No, it's not the most kingly of things. It's never been trained to canter and hold its rider high in the saddle. And Jesus, he wasn't wearing royal robes or a crown. He was wearing linen garments of a commoner covered in dust from three years on the road. And he wasn't being led by the king's second in command, but rather he was being followed by the least, the lost, the lonely, the ones that society had no place for, like so many clowns, you know, blustering down the city streets throwing their own well-worn cloaks in the dirt and mud before the king, shouting, Hosanna, and blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Here comes the big parade. Here comes the kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, where the poor, the meek, the mourners, the thirsty, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, and the persecuted, the ones with nothing, shall inherit everything, shall inherit everything eternal life. That brings us to our third story, the third parade. And I want to start um, with a quote. And it's not from scripture, but it's from a pastor and an all-around cool Jesus dude um, from the east side of our country. He's my best friend who doesn't know he's my friend, Shane Claiborne. Um, And he leads a group of Christians who are living and, and loving and doing 
the hands and feet stuff in one of the worst neighborhoods of Philadelphia. They took Jesus literally and, and, and gave away everything to follow him and live in solidarity with the poorest of the poor. And I love this. Shane says this. He says, you better be careful climbing the ladder of success because while you're on your way up, you might just pass Jesus on his way where? <laughs> Down. That hits you, doesn't it? <laughs> but we live in a society that idolizes the ladder, idolizes the ones who make it to the top. And we worship the climb, right? We worship the climb. Success, wealth, power, prestige, noble horses and robes fit for a king. Those are markers of people that matter. People who are first. People that the last we look up to, we read about in magazines, we Google them and we scroll and we click about them on our phones because we want to be them. We want to climb that ladder. And yet, and yet once you pass Jesus, one, once you get to the top of the ladder, there's not much to do up there but just hold on to the rungs for dear life. Convince yourself that you deserve to be up there to push down the others <laughs> when they come close to you. And pretty soon you, you can't see anyone else because you spend everything you've got focused on the rung you're clinging to so that you won't lose your grip lest you fall. That's when people get hurt. And when people start getting hurt by those on top, actually the people on top, they start to fall. We see it again and again. I mean, it happened to Haman. He made it as high as he could get on that ladder without being the king, right? That was the only last step. And he was trying to all but be the king, put on his robe, right? Get on his horse. He'd already had his ring. He was at the top. Made it as high as he could go, and he plotted to hurt Mordecai, to kill all the Jews. And what happened? He fell. I stopped before I got there, but his wife says, you're going to fall. And he fell on the stake that he made for Mordecai. It happened to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They plotted to kill Jesus when he threatened their status and their treasury. He died, he rose, and they fell. And in 70 AD, their treasury, the temple, was destroyed. And it's happening today. All the time. We're obsessed with it. <laughs> I mean, that's like, half, I mean, it, you realize when you look at the news on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on your screens, all it is is about getting advertising revenue. So the news that you see is the stuff that'll make you click it so that they can get money. And how often is it stories of someone falling, <laughs> right? Stories of the proud and the successful brought low. Stories of the first becoming last. We're obsessed with those stories. Will Smith got lost in his own self-importance. And he hurt another man, and he fell. Brian Houston, anybody know who Brian Houston is? 
You sing his songs all the time. He's the founding pastor of Hillsong Church, like one of the largest congregation in the world. His father was a pastor. His father abused young children. He tried to cover it up to hold on to his rungs, right? <laughs> to look good. He hurt women in his congregation. And now we're watching him fall. Even while we're singing his songs, congregations across the globe are singing his songs. We're watching him fall. And Putin, megalomaniac, ruthlessly amassing and holding on to power. We're watching him fall from one of the highest heights in the kingdom of man, and he is hurting everyone on his way down. This is the story of mankind, and it gets paraded across our pages and our screens and our lives again and again. And even though we know how it ends, even though we know what Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be, we can't help ourselves, can we? We can't help ourselves but climb the ladder. Because every time someone falls from the top of the ladder, guess what that means? There's room for one more. And that one more might be me, who knows? <laughs> Maybe I can make it to the top. And so we climb. And we pass by Jesus on his way down. But, but we don't see him. Because <laughs> we stopped following him long ago. We stopped seeing him long ago when we started to tell a different story, when we started to climb a ladder. But this week, this holy week is our opportunity to stop climbing. To remember Christ's story. To remember the story of our salvation. And so I invite you this week to live this holy story the whole story. Climb down off your ladders. <laughs> Join Jesus and the disciples at the Last Supper, Monday, Thursday, 7 p.m. <laughs> if you can't be here in person, we'll make sure it's online, that you don't miss the good stuff. Join Jesus at the cross on Good Friday, 7 p.m. We're making it easy. And join all of creation as we gaze together at the wonder and the beauty of the empty tomb. Next Sunday, that's who we are. We're empty tomb people. It's easy to be just cross people, talk about our sin. It's sometimes harder to talk about the grace that even if we climb to the top and even if we fell off the ladder, Jesus is waiting for us down at the bottom. Amen. Amen. Amen.